So we are in the book of Galatians. You guys don't seem surprised by that. We're actually going to get through quite a bit today, and I'm pretty excited about that. We're going to finish chapter 3 today. So let's pray, and we'll get into it. Jesus, we have, uh, again, a, a great need to hear from you. Lord, we don't want to come here and waste our time. Uh, Lord, but I know so many of the hearts in here are just soft and they want to uh, know you. They want to be touched by you. They want to um, understand what it is that you have uh, to speak to us tonight. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We ask that uh, you would protect, protect us from distractions and protect us from uh, anything the enemy is, wants to accomplish tonight. But above all, Jesus, we want to just fellowship with you. We want to hear from you, Lord. We want to understand this great thing that you've given us in the new covenant. In your name we pray. Amen. That was really funny. Star Wars music. Anyway, we have been uh, looking at Galatians for quite a while now. And our series has been called War on Legalism. And uh, tonight, we're, uh, if I was going to give a title to our message, it would be called Never Ending Promise. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, Never Ending Promise. Uh, I've heard, you've heard it said, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. Can't break God's promise by leaning on them. So what is a promise? Well, the world has a really messed up view of what promises are. Maybe you guys might have a weird or skewed view. Maybe I have a weird view. But I, I came across a bunch of quotes here that they are going to help us kind of wrap our mind around what a promise is. Promises are like babies. Easy to make, hard to deliver. That was an author unknown. Never take a solemn oath. People think you mean it. Norman Douglas. The best way to keep one's word is not to give it. That was Napoleon Bonaparte. Oaths are but words, and words but wind. Samuel Butler. Half the promises people say were never kept, or half the promises people say were never kept, were never made. Edgar Watson Howe. Uh, we promise according to our hopes and perform according to our fears. And that's some French guy I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Promises are, and pie crusts are made to be broken, as Jonathan Swift. It is useless to hold a person to anything he says while he is in love, drunk, or running for office. And that was Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> and the last one is... is my favorite guy, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I love Abraham Lincoln. He was just my hero. Um, well, not my hero, but I like him. The best president, anyway. Uh, he said, We must not promise what we ought not, lest we be called on to perform what we cannot. And that's the only one of all these quotes that really, I think, is the correct way to look at promises at promises this world has i mean just from reading that i think this world has a really corrupted way of looking at a promise and that's not the way that god 
portrays a promise. God portrays a promise as something that, when it's said, it never changes. It never changes. That's a promise. That's what you think of when, you, when someone gives a promise ring. What does that say? I'm promising to stay true to you. Did I ever give you a promise ring when we were in junior high? No. See, I was innocent when I broke up with you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Painful memories. Okay. Well, the Lord, you know, he has a definition of a promise that he's going to continue with. He's going to go on with it and he's not going to be uh, let the world define what he is doing when he makes a promise. So let's look now at Galatians chapter three, verse 15 is where we left off last week or 14. So we're going to start in verse 15. It says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So Paul is saying here, he's been talking about his war on legalism. And now he's, he, we just finished last week talking about how the law brings a curse. And now he's going to start talking, he's just shifting his attention from the curse and the law to the, the other way of looking at it, which is the promise and God's blessings. That God's blessings don't come to us through the law, which we studied last week brings a curse, but it, they come to us by a promise. His blessings do. And so he says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. That means he's going to use uh, an example from everyday life. Uh, the manner of men is men's, even the way men do things, he's saying. And so he's saying, if uh, though there is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. That means that a covenant was like a contract. And uh, even men, even in our world, when you sign a contract, you can't change that contract. Although our world is kind of messed up and you can change a contract and then go into bankruptcy and all these things to get out of it. But in truth, you shouldn't get out of this contract. You shouldn't change a contract, even in man's way of looking at things. And all throughout history, a covenant or a contract was not to be changed. So how much more, Paul is saying here, how much more God's contracts, they cannot be changed either. Unless they're fulfilled, they won't be changed. But it is possible to fulfill them. Let's look at the next verse, verse 16. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but, uh, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. What he's talking about here is way back in the book of Genesis, uh, it's, he said, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That was the promise that we're talking about here. Uh, it's a little bit more expansive than that, but that's the main promise. And, and he said, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And so it's not all Abraham's descendants that this promise was made to, but just the one, just to the seed, which it says here is Christ. So this co covenant or promise or contract that God made was not only to Abraham, but it was to Jesus, the Messiah. That's what this promise was made to. So we cannot think that it can be overruled 
by a covenant that God later established with Israel at Mount Sinai, which we're going to talk about in just a minute here. It doesn't get overruled. Nothing about this covenant changes with something that happens later. So um, let's go ahead and read the next verse here. He says, verse 17, And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So we could contrast this covenant with the Mosaic covenant that happened 430 years later at Mount Sinai. We could contrast the two. This one is a one-sided covenant. It was a one-sided contract. So it's not really a covenant or a contract per se. It's more of a promise. So we could, def- we could change our definitions and just say, okay, a promise is something that one person just makes. You make a promise. It's not conditional. It's not based on something you do or something someone else does. It's just, I promise I'm going to do this. It's one-sided. Where the law that came 430 years later was two-sided. It was multi, uh, two parties that were part to it. He said, if you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I won't do that. And it was all these different laws, okay? So there's a, there's a contrast between the two. Um, there are no ifs in this covenant, in this Abrahamic covenant that we're looking at. There's no ifs, but there are lots of ifs in the Mosaic. The Mosaic covenant focused on the blessings of obedience, while the Abrahamic covenant focuses on the blessings of faith. So, that means that the promise of a land... And a nation and a blessing of relationship, all these three things, stand eternally to Abraham and his descendants, and his descendants, though spiritually the promise of a blessing comes to every nation through Jesus by faith. So, let's read verse 17 again. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So the law, it doesn't change that first promise that was made. We're going to talk more about this promise. This promise is a big deal. And the way that we come by this promise and the way that Jesus is giving us this promise, this is what this is all going to be about today. But the law does not change this first promise. It doesn't fulfill it either. It doesn't fulfill it. It doesn't end it. The promise still works. It's still in effect. And it was confirmed by God in Christ. That's when Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead. He confirmed that this promise was true, that this covenant works, that this covenant was that God was going to fulfill his promise. See, God. um, Well, let's read verse 18 first before we get into that. Verse 18, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the law promises things too. The law promises good things to those who keep the commands. However, it cannot promise an inheritance. An inheritance. 
Why can't it promise an inheritance? Because the law never made someone a son of God. It can say, you'll be blessed if you live a good life. It can promise that. And it can promise you're going to be cursed if you don't act perfectly in your life. It can promise those things. But it cannot change someone from a natural human being to a son of God. It can't do that. And that's okay. Because it wasn't designed and intended to do that. It wasn't designed for that. The word gave here in verse 18 at the end, but God gave it to Abraham. The word gave is the Greek word kekaristai, which is based on the Greek word for charis, which is the word grace, like we've been learning about, the covenant of grace. He gave it to Abraham. So God is giving to Abraham a free gift of grace. He gave it to him. He saw that Abraham was humble and had faith, and so he's like, here you go, Abraham, I give this to you. I promise it to you. I give, give it to you. This word also is in the perfect tense in the Greek. And that perfect tense shows that this gift was permanent. It's not something that God was going to take back or that Abraham could lose. It was permanent. Why would we want to work for something that was given for free? You guys remember the illustration that we talked about way back in the beginning of our study of grace and how God is wanting to just give it to us but like, like, a, like a Christmas present on Christmas morning. And, and he's saying, here you go, here's your Christmas present. And the, the wrong way to look at a Christmas present is saying, oh, thank you. I, I will now work for you for five years for this Christmas present. It doesn't work that way. Because we can't earn Christmas presents. We can't earn gifts. And in the same way, this grace or this gift that God gave to Abraham and in turn what we're going to see that he gives to us cannot be earned. Even if you tried, even if you worked for 10 years doing nothing but walking old ladies across the street, you wouldn't earn any grace. You wouldn't earn any of this blessing. And you definitely couldn't earn your way into becoming a child of God. So, let me, let me give you a quote here. Judaizers might quote Moses. Paul will quote Abraham. Let them quote the law. He will quote promise. If they appeal to centuries of tradition and proud history of the law of Moses, he will appeal, appeal to the grander, grander covenant with Abraham, older by centuries still. All of this proves that we approach God only by faith, not in any way by works. And that's exactly how it's always been. That's how it was with Abraham. That's how it was with Moses, even though Moses was given the covenant, the, the old covenant, the law, he still had to approach God based on faith. And people ask, well, how did people, how did people go to heaven before Jesus came? How did people get saved before Jesus came? And that's a really easy answer. You just say, the same way they're saved now, by faith. Except their faith wasn't looking back at Jesus dying. Their faith was looking forward at Jesus dying. Isn't that cool? And they did. They died, and they died in faith. And 
when Jesus died, their sins were paid for. So I like that. Let's look now at verse 19 and verse 20. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So the natural question then that all these people in Galatia would have for Paul, after he just spelled out to them basically that the law can't do anything to help them right now, that the law isn't a help to them, then their natural question is, well, why was it even given? Why didn't God just give the promise to Abraham and then just make everyone wait for Jesus to come and die on the cross? Why didn't he do that? And Paul has an answer for them here. He says it was added because of transgression. See, the, the law does have a great use. It's very useful. The law is wonderful. The law is perfect in what it does. And what is that? He had to give us his standard so that we would not destroy ourselves before Messiah came. So the nation of Israel was given the law so that they could be protected in this world. Because the, the law existed whether they were told about it or not. It's not like the Ten Commandments appeared on Mount Sinai and that was the first time they existed. Was it wrong to murder before then? Yeah. Was it wrong to lie before then? Yes. Was it, law, was it wrong to commit adultery before the Ten Commandments were given? Yes. It was. Sin doesn't change. The law is just a picture for us of what a godly life looks like. So it was a gift. It was a picture. It was a tool given to us to show us what a godly life looked like. And it was given in another way. The law also excites man's innate rebellion through revealing a standard, showing us more clearly our need for salvation in Jesus. So another way that the law was useful is it showed everyone that you are sinners and that you need the promise, the Savior, the Messiah. The promise is what it was all about. The whole law pointed to the promise. That's why Abraham was first. That's why it was. It all started with Abraham. So look at verse uh, 19, and well, Romans chapter three, verse 19. Let's go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter three, verse 19. This is really cool. It says now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That verse tells us what the law is really good at doing. Telling us our sin. Showing us our sin. And yet... How many times do we go out throughout our day and we hear people quoting the Ten Commandments and saying, well, if our country just followed the Ten Commandments, we would all be a lot better off. Which is true. 
But that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law isn't so that you will be a better person. The purpose of the law isn't to make everyone behave. The purpose of the law is to make us understand clearly that we are wicked and that we need a savior. That's the purpose of the law. We've got to constantly be checking ourselves and, am I, and, and asking us the question, am I using the law the right way? Which is just to reveal sin. That's our purpose. That's the purpose that we can use the law for. So, going back to Galatians, we get to chapter 3, verse 20, and it's, it's one of the strangest verses in the Bible. And uh, I read some commentaries that said there's over 250 different interpretations of what this verse means. And some guy said over 300. So, let's read it again and you'll see. It says... Um, Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. So what what does that mean? Well, as far as I can figure, what it's talking about is that uh, it means that the promise is superior to the law because it did not need an additional mediator. Jesus was the promise. He was the fulfillment of the promise. And he was the mediator all by himself. So... um, that's what I could figure on that. And because the law, well, did we already read about the angels? No. We'll get to that in just a minute. Okay, so go to verse 21 now. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So we can't expect the law to do what it was not designed to do. He says, if, man, it would have been so great if we could have this life and we could just, there could be just some rule that if we followed it, we could go to heaven. And that's the common idea that's out there in the world. Or that's that desire that's sometimes inside of us is, I wish there was just some list of ten things that if I just did them all, I'd go to heaven. And then we realize that's exactly what the law is. Right? And that's, it just doesn't work. It says, if, the, if it could have been done that way, truly righteousness would have been by the law. I'm sure Jesus would have rather not died on the cross and suffered all the curses that we looked at last week for us if he didn't have to. But he had to. So verse 22 but the scriptures have has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all who believe. Notice the key words in there. It's a promise. It's accessed by faith and it's given. These are all terms of grace. These are all the way that God works. God loves to work. And it's not the terms of wages and and. Uh, uh, working and efforts and all those different words. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So again, the law is really good at doing its job, which is making desperate people. Making people who are looking for a savior. That's what the law is great at doing. We're going to do someday a crusade in Denver. And we're going to tell people about the law. We're going to tell people about God's standards. And in telling them that, we're praying that the Holy Spirit and the work of the, the, the law itself will do its job of making them desperate and see their need for a Savior. And then we bring in the good news of the Savior, and then people get saved. That's how it works. Notice here that there's an end to the relationship with the tutor. Let me ask you this. Do you guys still visit your driving school teacher every now and then? Just to get a brush up on your driving skills? She should, you think? <laughs> How about, um, do you guys ever pull down that book, How to Ride a Bike for Dummies? Do you guys ever pull that out and like, say, oh man, I just don't, I don't know if I'm, I really got this. Well, once you enter into a relationship with Jesus, the truth is you don't need the law anymore. And that's just the truth. Henry Moore said, far from, uh, from being the gateway into a glorious liberty, it turns out to be a jailer shutting people up. The result is that the only way of escape is through faith. Satan would have us to prove ourselves holy by the law, which God gave to prove us sinners. I love that quote. Satan would have us to prove ourselves holy by the law. He wants us to try to judge ourselves by the law and compare ourselves and to try to attain to holiness by our performance, where God just says, the law isn't for that. The law is to show you you're a sinner, to prove that you're a sinner. Don't try to prove yourself holy by it. So look now at verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith, in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, the, the amazing thing here is that we bypass all the law, all the performance stuff that we think of when we think of the Ten Commandments, do this, don't do that, all the things that we grew up in church hearing, don't do this, don't wear that, don't do this, all those things we bypass completely and we just become a son, a child of God, an heir. And a son is under no legal obligation to do anything to keep being a son. He's just a son. He doesn't have to do anything. Yet, a son will generally love and honor his father and his family until his death because of love, out of love and relationship. He will naturally do those things. And that's the way this works. When we get rid of the law, 
and we enter into Jesus by faith, we become a son and we just love our Father. And we do things out of a heart of love for our Father, whatever God puts on your heart. You just do whatever you want. And there will be less sin in that, as Paul said previously, being filled by the Spirit, being led by, by the Spirit, than if you tried to keep the law. That's how it works. So it says here, we put on Christ. You are just as much a son of God as Jesus was. It says you put him on, and that's like clothes. That's the, the, the word he uses, put it on, just like you put on a jacket or put on your pants. You put him on. And you are now just as much the son of God, a son of God, as Jesus was. Jesus, he, he, he talked with God all the time, and he just walked in like he owned the place. He, he walked in, and he was just like, my father... Like, I know you. All these people don't know you, but I know you. And he would say all these prayers and he would do all these things and he would call on his father like his father had a, had a business listening to him. And yet that's exactly now what we've been given. Complete access to our father because we're in Christ. We put on Christ and our unity comes from our identity in Jesus. He says, there's no longer male or female, no Jew nor Greek, slave or free. You are all one in Christ. So our identity comes from Jesus. We put him on. We all put him on. <clears throat> Henry Morris says, many of God's children lack a deep understanding of the Christian way. But that does not mean that they are not genuine Christians. Being Christian is being a believer, not having an intellectual answer to all the problems we meet as we live out our Christian lives. We don't have to have all the answers. That's not what God is asking from us. He wants us to just be his children. That's what makes us believers. And then he says... In verse 29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, you get everything when you're in, when you're Jesus, right? Jesus got everything. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? He ascended up into heaven with glory. He got everything. You get all the promise and you get all of that that Jesus got. When you're in him, you partake of the same glory. You partake of the same position. You are the son of God. You are in his position. And we are his body here on the earth. You don't get it be because you're worthy. You get it because he was so worthy. You don't get it because you're so gracious. You get it because he was gracious. And you don't get it because you try hard. This is freedom. We aren't associated with Jesus. We are in Jesus. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where? In Christ. Every spiritual blessing is ours. Everything. All access to God. Being able to ask Him for anything we need. It's ours. Even though we have all, this, all the forgiveness that we need, it's ours. 
And it's all in Christ. So this, the last thing we're going to talk about is that this is an everlasting promise. So if you just turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Verse 20. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, this covenant, this is the everlasting covenant. This is the promise that lasts forever. That old covenant, that, that, may, mo, that covenant that God gave Moses with the Ten Commandments and the law, it had a fulfillment. It was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. And the, the veil was torn from top to bottom, showing that the way into the holiest, holy presence of God was now made open. That covenant had an end. This covenant is eternal. This promise is eternal. It doesn't end. It's an everlasting covenant. That word everlasting can, be, can mean without beginning and without end. In, in other words, God has always promised that he is going to take care of us. Always. Even back from Adam and Eve, God pictured this. Remember Adam and Eve, they sin, and Adam says, God says, where are you? And Adam's like, I was afraid. And what did God do? He killed an animal and made a covering. He took care of their problem. He took care of their issue. This has always been God's covenant. But look what he says. Verse 21. He, he will make you complete in every good work. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to try hard? And, isn't that what the law is for? To tell us how to do good works? No, it's not. It says he will make us complete to do every good work. But wait, won't we not know how to do good things if we don't study the law? No, that's not how you learn how to be a Christian. Studying the law does not teach you how to be a good Christian. It doesn't. And this is the root, the crux, the, the foundation of Paul's war on legalism. Is that is not how we fix our lives. Trying to keep the law doesn't fix them. So what does? He will make you complete in every good work to do his will. He's working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. He's doing all this stuff in you through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. So what am I saying? I'm saying we got to stop trying to look at the law to make us better Christians and just start looking at Jesus Christ. Just start talking to Jesus. Just start interacting with Jesus. Letting Him be our God. Seeking Him in the morning. Worshipping Him when we're feeling down. Letting Him be the reason why we're a, a godly employee at work. All the, whatever is the situation in your life that you're going through, Jesus is the answer. It's through Jesus that we are made complete to do every good work 
be well-pleasing in His sight. It's just through Jesus. We just trust Him. We just walk with Him. And as you walk with Him, you're made His son. And as a son, you just do what you want. And it will be well-pleasing in His sight. That's glorious freedom. This is the most freeing thing. When I when I learned this at the first the first time I learned this, the first time I really started to grasp this, it it shocked me. It 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 destroyed me because I had this worldly mindset of what a promise was because of the life I had gone through and the life I had seen people go through. Promises didn't mean a whole lot. My parents got divorced when I was two. Divorce has affected how many of our lives? And in my own marriage, promises that were made to me were not kept. And so I felt the bitter sting of betrayal and of a promise that wasn't kept. And as as I followed the Lord and I started learning and seeing these scriptures and seeing that Jesus was happy with me because I was his son and that his promise was that he would make me a son and he would, he, I was well-pleasing to him. I was doing what was right because I was walking with him. And it was, it was crazy. My mind got, got changed in how I looked at promises. And now I see God's promise in a totally different way. It is, it is not just something that um, we're going to get someday. This is the way God works here on this earth today. This promise is, is happening right now. This promise is happening. It's not some far off thing and it's not something way back with Abraham. It's happening in this room, in these pews and in these pews and in, on this stage. It's happening right now. A promise from God is a statement that we can depend on with absolute confidence. Here's 12 promises for you guys just as we leave, okay? God's presence, I will never leave you. God's protection, I am your shield. God's power, I will strengthen you. God's provision, I will help you. God's leading, and when he put put forth his sheep, he goes before them. God's purposes, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's rest, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's goodness. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God's faithfulness. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. God's guidance. The meek he will guide. And God's wise plan. All things work together for the good of them who love God. So one more quote. We did all those quotes at the beginning. Here's one more. Corey Ten Boom said, Let God's promises shine on your problems. See, when we, when we live in a world of God's promises, we have nothing to worry about. And some of us struggle with anxiety. And some of us struggle with worry and trusting the Lord and faith. 
Does your, let me just ask you this one question. Does your son ever worry that he's going to wake up one morning and not be your son? Does your daughter ever wake up one morning and fear that you have forgotten about her? Hopefully not. Hopefully you can grasp that. That God isn't looking at you based on your performance. He's looking at you as a son and a daughter. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for wrapping us in your very own self, giving us your promise. God, making it, making it so easy to access this great world of your promise. Lord, it's just by faith. We just believe. And Lord, to the extent that we will believe in you and trust you, is the extent that we will see all these promises fulfilled in our life. God, we can't earn these promises, all these promises that we just read. We can't do anything to get them, but they are freely given and accessed by faith. So Lord, I pray you would increase our faith. Lord, I know it's warm in here. I know it's it's long. And God, you have just... um, You've blessed us with this word, and so I just pray that you would encourage us now. In your name we pray. Amen.